And you're right. I mean, it was a lot of years in the making. And I think for for me, having a partner who totally trusts me with our money and our investments and just kind of leaves it to me to do has really been the biggest thing. He just supports whatever it is that I want to do. And, you know, I've always been pretty careful with our money. And I've always been a saver when, you know, even though, like I said, we couldn't save much a lot of years, we always saved something. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled Podcast. This is episode number 283. Hope everybody's having a great week out there. I wanted to start off this episode by reading a couple reviews we got uh, over the last couple weeks. One comes from uh, Ant75290. He said, just started listening. Great podcast. I have really enjoyed listening to you all. I really like the questions you ask. Please keep up the great work. Got another one from... Nori08 says the podcast is one of a kind and showcase casing millionaires and their financials, etc. But they can do a way better can do way better by looking for others outside of their comfort zone, beyond looking and sounding like them, white males. Also, so glad the host finally, as of 2021 anyway, verbalized positive high fives and kudos throughout the interviews while these guests pour out their once private details and financial feats. Appreciate that, uh, Nori. Just wanted to address uh, some things. I've had a couple of emails too about this, and that's why I'm, I'm bringing it up. But at, at any rate, you know, just to give you an idea, and, I, and we've talked about this before, the way that we get guests to come on the show is by volunteer. <laughs> and as we've always said, we look for a broad range of guests casting a wide net. Much of it comes from the listenership of this show. So, and we take what comes. And I can tell you, in most cases. There are very few that uh, we turn down. And in some cases, there's some that we record and we don't release, but there's all sorts of various reasons for that. But at any rate, you know, I take this comment uh, as, you know, call out to the to the group. Like, we want a broad, broad range of guests from all sorts of backgrounds. And this isn't something that, that you know, I, I don't know how to, any other way to say it. So we'd love to have all sorts of different people with different backgrounds, on the show to showcase, we've never ever done anything different than that. From the very, very, very beginning of the show, that's how it's been, and it's why it will continue to be. So, and this goes for any type of you know comment regarding you know who and what type of guests we have on the show. We do a pretty dang good job of trying to get as diverse group as possible, and and we truly feel that's extremely important because our listenership for the most part is is very diverse. But once again, it's volunteer for those that come on our show. So. At any rate, today we have Lauren. Her net worth is $3.1 million. She's got $135,000 in cash, $320,000 in a Roth, $350,000 in a 401k. Got an HSA about 40k, a 529 for just over 100, 600 grand in self storage facility investment, just over 600 grand in some short term rentals, $350,000 in some vacant land, about. 500k in equity in primary residence and 50k in a car wash development fund. Some of these investments and real estate syndications and a note are inside their Roth IRAs. So super good episode with Lauren. Her husband 
uh, is an artist and, and she kind of runs the business with her husband as an artist. So really looking forward to this interview. Very different from a lot of the, the inter interviews that we've done. And they invest span all sorts of different categories, which is really unique. Obviously, last week we had the introduction of Brad and uh, as the new co-host. So you'll start to start to hear his voice uh, on several of these episodes coming up. Super excited for that. Uh, his net worth just over $2 million. We got into all the details on, on uh, his journey going from a half a million dollars in loans and in debt at age of 28 to now a multimillionaire. So go check out that episode. Once again, we're still looking for that 300th episode, looking to see if we can't get somebody worth 300 million or close to it. If you're interested or know somebody, that's how we found our last one actually, was uh, a listener knew somebody. And so uh, we'd love to have that uh, on for, for continue the tradition of, of hitting the hundreds if we can. If you're interested in just general being on the show, just send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. And we'll go uh, send you the forms, go through the process, and uh, get you scheduled. And without any further delay, let's get into today's episode with Lauren. Lauren, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Sure. So my background is that I came from kind of a very poor background. My mom was married and divorced three times by the time I was 16 years old. And I attended about nine different schools by the time I graduated from high school. So we moved around a lot. I was always the, the um, new kid. And we lived mainly in Arkansas during that time. And so um, I always say we kind of lived in a shack in the woods. And I show pictures of it to my kids to make them see how lucky they are now. But yeah, so that's where I came from. Um, I met my husband in 1986. And we've been together for almost 37 years now, married for 30 years. So he's my partner in all things. And then now we own a business that we've owned together and run together for about 25 years. And I also became a real estate investor about going on almost four years now. So that's just a little bit about myself. Awesome. And we're going to get into a little bit of the story and some of these other details, but what is your net worth today? My net worth as of today is about almost $3.1 million. Okay. And how is that broken up? Okay. So that is broken up. We have about $135,000 in cash right now. Um, we have Roth IRAs valued at $319,000. We have a company 401k that is owned by our own company that has about $353,000 in it. We have an HSA with about $38,000 in it. Um, we have 529 accounts for our kids with $104,000 and Roth IRAs for our kids with about $11,000. We have a real estate investment where we have $600,000 in a self-storage facility that we are partners in. Um, we have about $609,000 in equity and two short-term rentals that we own. Um, we own two vacant lots in Tennessee that are valued at $350,000 and that's our equity. And we have about $506,000 in equity in our primary home. And then we have about $50,000 um, invested in a, a car wash development fund. Interesting. So you have quite the spread between all these investments. We do. Yes. And 
the the money that you've got in the I guess your market or the Roth, how is that invested in stock or bonds or individual stocks? How how's that broken up? Okay, so with that, we have about fifty nine thousand in individual stock, and then there's about eight thousand dollars in cash in there. But the rest is actually invested in different real estate deals. So um, we own some syndications within our Roth IRA and. Um, a real estate note. And yeah, that's how it's broken down. So mostly real estate at this point in that Roth. Has it always been like that? No, actually, we um, started investing with our, we turned it into a self-directed Roth IRA back in 2019 and moved um, just my IRAs over at that time and started investing in some syndications with that. Um, I didn't even know that was a possibility until I started going on bigger podcasts and just kind of educating myself because I've always wanted to invest in real estate and figured out that that might be a good way because that's where the majority of our money was, was in our retirement accounts. So, And when did you start investing in those retirement accounts? You mean before we started doing the real estate? Correct. Yeah, when yeah, did we you start those accounts? Oh, probably um, we started them when I was probably in my 20s. So maybe 25, 30 years ago, we actually started um, just putting some money away. But we never really had a lot to put into them. But we would regularly do it as much as we could each year. And so they kind of got built up until we ended up having about $500,000 between the IRAs and 401k. And that was back in 2019. That was the amount we had in them at that time. Interesting. So a lot of this has really happened for you in the last three to five years. So to speak. Yeah, is, that, exactly. is that accurate? Yeah, I'd say most of it has happened since 2019, other than the, you know, the 500,000 that we managed to save up before that time. But the rest of it, I would say the majority of it has stemmed from the retirement accounts, actually, because even, I mean, we got into investing in short-term rentals in 2019. That's when we bought our first one. And we bought that, actually, we got the down payment by taking a loan from our 401k at the time. I see. So the, the years that you were essentially leading up to the to the 500k, were you self-employed then as well? We were. So we, um, you know, I graduated from college. I put myself through college and graduated and um, went into retail management, making very little money. And my husband was working as well. And then um, he's always been an artist. I mean, he was an art student when we met. And so he decided to start his own art business. And so we started doing that together about 25 years ago. And I've always run the business end of it. And he's always done the art. And so we've always had that business and been self-employed. So we've never, I mean, for the past 25 or more years, we've, we haven't worked for anyone else. So everything we have is through our own work and our own business. And, and, and what what kind of, I mean, are you artists? Do you sell art or, or broker or what is yeah, exactly? My, well, so my husband is an artist, so we sell his artwork. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah. Now, do you travel around the show? I have an uncle who's an artist. I'm a little familiar with this this world, but is it mainly online or do you go travel around to, to shows and stuff or how, how, how are people discovering it, 
art, his art. Yeah, it's both. Yeah, it's both. It's he, um, we have a website. So some of it is through the website. He also travels around and does it. And he also kind of made a name for himself by doing a lot of celebrity. He has a lot of celebrity clients and made it into a lot of magazines at one point. And so he kind of made a little bit of a name for himself that way. Yeah. I mean, uh, so Lauren, I'm really interested in 2019, which like, did you research for a long time? And just like, what was the catalyst for you to change your investment strategy around? Well, I think um, the cat, well, we've always wanted to invest in real estate. I've, you know, I always read all the books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and even bought the old Carlton Sheets, No Money Down program way back when. And it was just something that had always been on our radar that we wanted to do, but we never really had the extra money or thought we could do it because, you know, when we did have extra money, we would put it into our retirement accounts or whatever, you know, and and we live in a high cost of living area and there just wasn't a lot of extra to do that. So, you know, when through my just starting to educate myself, going on bigger pockets, networking with people, listening to podcasts, I found out, you know, that yes, you can use your retirement account to invest. And so, and then we found out about short-term rentals because we thought, well, we want to do rental properties. That's our, that's what our goal is. But then I found out about short-term rentals and it turned out that the hottest place in the United States at the time to, to own them was an area that we actually knew very well and had actually lived there. So we were familiar with the tourist industry there and and knew it would be a good market for us. So we that's where we bought our first one. We actually so we bought our first short-term rental with a $75,000 loan from our 401k and we ended up selling that one property um about 3 years later and made a profit of $750,000 on that one sale. Yeah. So that was, you know, years and years of planning and some educating and then, you know, just luck with the market, I think. Yeah. I, I personally own short-term rentals as well. And okay. have sold at the exact right time because the rents definitely <laughs> have frozen the last six months or so. So uh, at least in the areas I own. So uh, mm-hmm. I think you, I think you got out at the, the perfect time. Bought loan. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we did great on that one. I mean, we still own two other ones, but so far they're still doing well. So we'll see how that goes. Are they in the same region? They are. Yeah, they're in the same area. But, you know, we bought those in 2021. So we bought when the market was still reasonable and the interest rates were still low. And so our overhead is, is not too bad. And we still have a lot of equity in those. And so far, the income has been pretty good. Lauren, I want to ask at this point, given the the kind of swings that you've seen in the market and having a big win, where do you go from here from an investment strategy standpoint? Are you going to continue to invest and diversify into real estate related assets or what's the plan? Yeah, our plan is to still continue to invest in real estate. I mean, a lot of our um, investments right now are in syndication. So we, we like the passive aspect of those. And, you know, we started buying those in 2019 and some of them have gone full circle and others we expect to go full circle in the next probably two to four years. So we won't know exactly what our return is going to be on those, but we feel comfortable 
in doing that because we know we're protected by the real estate for one thing. So um, even if they don't go as projected, I think they'll still be a good investment for us. Is there a target net worth that you're trying to hit or passive income goal? Yeah, I mean, I think more than the net worth is a passive income goal. We'd like to have passive income of about 200000 annually. So I think that would be a comfortable retirement for us. Um, right now, we're probably at about 120000 in passive income annually. So we still have a little ways to go, but I hope when some of these investments go full circle, we'll be there. Yeah. Let's shift gears here just a little bit and, and, and back up and kind of alluded to it in, in your intro, but how did all this get started? And and really, I'd love to, to just dive in. I mean, on the surface, it may seem like in three years, you've, you've developed you know a significant net worth, became a millionaire a couple of years ago, and then it spiraled you know the second and third million. Now, I would say that first one's the hardest, but really, this was several years and possibly decades in the making. Can you speak to that just, just a little bit of what it took in those previous years to kind of get yourself, you know, prepared to, to do what you were going to do and, and kind of roll the network from one to, to three in the last few years? Yeah, sure. And you're right. I mean, it was a lot of years in the making. And I think for, for me, having a partner who totally trusts me with our money and our investments and just kind of leaves it to me to do has really been the biggest thing. He just supports whatever it is that I want to do. And, you know, I've always been pretty careful with our money and I've always been a saver when, you know, even though, like I said, we couldn't save much a lot of years, we always saved something. So we weren't maxing out the retirement accounts, but we were definitely putting money in there. Um, the biggest driver for me was that I just didn't want to be poor. You know, after growing up the way that I grew up, I didn't want that for myself. So I always knew from the time that I was a teenager um, that I was going to go to college. And so I worked 40 hours a week and put myself through college in four years and got my bachelor's degree. And I did that, you know, with no help from family or anybody. And so that was a, an accomplishment I'm really proud of. Even though I didn't really work in the field that my degree is in, I have a bachelor's in psychology. I think it, you know, it just meant a lot. It was just a personal goal that I had. And it did help me with jobs when I initially was working for other people before I became self-employed. So, you know, when I was growing up too, I, I took care of my younger sisters growing up. And so, you know, I think they all always looked up to me and and even they would even come spend summers with me when I was going to college and I would, you know, take care of them even then. So, but, you know, just having the same partner through all of this with a similar background, because my husband also came from a home with a single mom and, and no money. And so, you know, we had that in common and just didn't want that for ourselves as adults. So yeah, for sure. Do your family and friends know of your wealth now? My family doesn't really. I mean, my sister, who I'm very close to, kind of knows, but I don't think she knows. She doesn't know what my exact net worth is. And friends, I mean, I have int introduced some of my friends to real estate investing over the past couple of years, and they've also invested in some of the things I have, but I don't discuss my net worth, so I don't think they really know. Yeah. This year is flying by, and it's not every day that I get to partner with a company that I use almost daily. Yep, that's stamps.com. 2023 is well underway. And if you're a small business owner, you know how fast the year goes. Postage rates just increased again. 
Luckily, Stamps.com has the best discounts in the industry with rates you literally can't find anywhere else, like up to 84% off of USPS and UPS. Plus, Stamps.com automatically tells you your cheapest and fastest shipping options. Use Stamps.com to print postage wherever you do business. All you need is computer and printer. They even send you a free scale so you have everything you need to get started. If you need a package pickup, you can easily schedule those through Stamps.com dashboard. And let me tell you, the package pickup is amazing. They are almost at my house daily. Set your business up for success when you get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code MILLIONAIRE for a special offer that includes a four-week free trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code MILLIONAIRE. Did you explore real estate investing 10 or 20 years ago, or was this a, a much more recent thing? Yeah, it was more recent. I mean, we so we bought our first home when I was probably about 26, and I actually worked for the home builders, so we got it at cost, and we only lived in it for about four months and made a nice profit on that. So, you know, we were always interested and, and knew that real estate was good, and we've always owned our own homes since then, every house we've lived in since we own. But as far, and like I said, I read the books and did all that, but we just didn't have the know-how or thought that we didn't have the money to make down payments and do all that. So, but also we have, um, we also have two children. So we had children later in life. So we have a 15 year old and a nine year old. And, you know, I just wanted to make sure they had a better life than we had. And, you know, also that we were able to afford to retire at some point in the in the coming, you know, few years. So that was the catalyst, really, to get into real estate and really try to make our wealth grow. So Jace keeps asking all these like very technical, intelligent questions. <laughs> I want to know what you did when you made the seven hundred grand on your on your big sale. Did you, did you, Gosh, you know what? <laughs> Did you go on a vacation? Did you have a good meal? What did you do? Well, we didn't do anything too exciting. We did a 1031 exchange, of course. <laughs> um, we did, but we did, we remodeled our kitchen in our own home, which is something we wanted to do. And we um, took a trip with my sister and her family and our kids to Costa Rica this past Thanksgiving. So that was our big deal, big spend that we did. So that was totally worth it. All right. That sounds, that sounds pretty great. Yeah. Well, I want to shift gears here just, just a little bit in terms of the mindset to, you know, take that first leap self-direct. We haven't really touched a lot on self-directing, you know, especially into real estate investments or any type of investment. What was it like educating yourself and, and getting to the point where you were comfortable enough to make a self-directed investment through your retirement account? Yeah. Well, for one thing, I've always handled our investments, even when, you know, they were just in stock. So I was comfortable as far as that aspect of it. And then, you know, just the more I read about it, it made sense to me, you know, and it was a way that we could invest in real estate. At first, before I fully immersed myself in learning about it, I thought, oh, great, I can just go out and buy rental properties with the Roth IRA or 401k. But then 
I found out, no, you can't really buy a whole house and self-manage it as a short-term rental within your retirement account. That's just not something that can be done. So then I kind of switched gears and learned about syndications, but then still found out I could take a loan from the 401k and then just pay ourselves back into the 401k to buy our first short-term rental. But I've always been kind of a risk taker. I mean, I'm not afraid to to risk on investments. That's, I think, comes along with just being a business owner, never really working for a lot of different people, but just relying on ourselves for everything, for our income, for raising our family, for everything we have has come from just the hard work of, of myself and my husband. So that's just how we operate. Has your risk tolerance changed over time? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think we've always been willing to take a risk. So I think that as I got um, a little bit older and retirement was getting closer, you know, we wanted a way that we could really have a comfortable retirement. And so we were willing to risk more. And we're not really afraid to, because, you know, we're leveraged, of course, but our assets way outweigh what, what we're leveraged. So I think that putting your money to work for you is actually a smart thing. How do you go about vetting and, and looking at the syndications that you've invested in? Well, um, when I first started investing in them, a couple were referred to me by other investors that I had kind of gotten to know and trust. And so that was one way. And then um, I always look for someone who's also investing in the deal. That's always very important that they're putting their own personal money into the deal. And then... Um, just their track record. Although some, you know, I don't think it's been around for all that long, but, you know, I look at the deals they've had that have gone full circle and how they have done. And then of course I, you know, look at the financials and attend all the webinars on the deals so that I can, you know, hear all about it and ask questions and all of that. But I think the the number one thing is, you know, that they're putting their own money in because then there's a good chance they're going to make sure that it's as successful as possible. And, and what return are you usually expecting to get when you look at these? Or I guess what return would, would you not settle for by, by investing in them? What's kind of the baseline? I mean, I want to see at least probably 15% annual return. So far, we've had, you know, we've only been doing this since 2019. And we've had three deals go full circle. And those averaged about 25% annually, which is really good. So, but, you know, I wouldn't expect that to happen every time. And it depends on the, you know, we're not just in multifamily syndications, but we're in self-storage and we're in car washes. And so we're, we spread out as far as asset class as well. So, you know, we're with different partners and we're with different asset classes or different syndicators, I should say, and different asset classes. We're also in a couple real estate note funds and we own a real estate note outright. And so we try to diversify that way as well. As the um, car wash syndication model, I'm not as familiar with those. Um, does it have tax advantage to it? I, I've heard the car wash businesses have special tax. There are tax advantages with that but they're a little bit different than just the depreciation, like with the multifamily, because it, part of it's considered a business as well. Um, these I just started investing in this past year, so I haven't gotten the 
the K-1 yet, so I don't know exactly how much the depreciation will be, but I expect there to be some. And also for me, because a lot of these are invested within my retirement funds, it doesn't really matter because I can't take advantage of that depreciation. Got it. And on the self-storage business, how did that come about? So that was my 1031 exchange. So when we sold our first short-term rental that we had bought, we needed to do a 1031 exchange or get hit with a really, really high tax bill. So we ended up putting part of the money in as a tenants in common into that storage facility I spoke about in South Carolina. And then um, we also bought a vacant lot in a residential area that we're very familiar with. And then, um, yeah, so that was our full 1031 exchange. Brilliant. And so so with that, we get distributions. And then, so we'll get distributions monthly or quarterly now until it's sold maybe within the next five or six years. And then at that time, we hope to, you know, get a lump sum as well, because we also participate on the back end with any appreciation and, you know, rise in business. So as you move towards retirement with the self-directed, get to an age where you're able to withdraw funds and have you played out kind of what your strategy looks like over the next, you know, several years as you move into retirement? withdrawing from funds, you can think you'll continue into syndications and, and live off, you know, the cash flows and the lump sums or, or what is kind of the plan there? Yeah, that's our plan. I mean, our plan is to continue to roll over, you know, as the syndications sell and we get those lump sums, hopefully we plan to just roll those over into to more passive investments, more syndications, and just live off of the distributions from those. And we'll still, you know, at that point, we may decide to sell the short-term rentals and, and get out of that business because it's not really that passive when you're self-managing. And I also self-manage from very far away, which makes it a little more tricky. So at that point, we probably won't want to have those either. So we'll move that into more passive. When you say that you self-manage from really far away, I imagine between the technology we have available to us, you're, you're able to do a lot. But what does that look like from a management standpoint in terms of like, I mean, do you have cleaners that are on the ground? Do you have to coordinate with them? Like what's all involved in, in managing from afar since you really don't have, you know, boots on the ground there? Yeah, so we do rely on our cleaners heavily and we're lucky enough to have a great team of cleaners there. So, um, and then we have, you know, different maintenance people and trades people that we can call if we need repairs done and things like that. And then we'll go visit ourselves, you know, at least once a year, we'll take our family and go stay out there and fix whatever needs to be fixed or whatever, and just enjoy being there as well. So do you visit your, your Airbnb frequently? About once a year. I mean, with COVID, of course, we missed a year in there, but we went a year ago and we're planning to go back when the kids are on spring break again this year. Uh, this is a short-term rental question uh, as a fellow owner. What's the legal environment like there in, in Tennessee in terms of Chattanooga specifically or wherever it is in the Smokies uh, in terms of people liking or disliking the short term rentals had a lot of uh, a lot of issues on our on one of our homes the changing legal environment you mean as far as the laws go in the area um, for yeah. short-term rentals yeah the the short-term rental as you know is only as good as it's allowed right so some 
Right. right. Yeah. So, so the area that we have short-term rentals is a, an established vacation market, and that area depends on short-term rentals because they get millions of visitors a year, and they don't even have the hotel infrastructure to handle that. So they need the short-term rentals. So that area is very friendly to short-term rentals, and they get a lot of tax dollars from them. And the whole, you know, all the people that live there locally work work in the tourist industry and in the short-term rental industry for the most part. So they rely on it. And so it's very friendly to short-term rentals. That's great. Yeah. And I think that's key. I think being in a vacation market is key because I know that in a lot of the, the larger cities, they are starting to crack down on short-term rentals because a lot of residents just don't want them in their neighborhood or, or whatever, things like that. So the regulations are happening in a lot of areas I've heard, but I think we're pretty safe where we are there. Good deal. Well, let's uh, wrap up here with some rapid fire questions. What's the uh, most expensive meal out that you've ever paid for? Oh gosh, probably about $300 for my whole family, I would say. And we do that, you know, for special occasions and the holidays will go. So it's something that we do a few times a year and we take the kids and they love it too. So what's the most expensive experience or vacation that you've paid for or taken? Um, well, we do like to travel. I mean, that's our favorite thing to do. And that's where we tend to spend um, the majority of our extra income. So probably to Costa Rica. I mean, we've been there a couple of times. We like to stay in nice places and do all the adventurous activities. So we were just recently there, as I mentioned, and every day we were off zip lining and whitewater rafting and just having a great time. So probably there, I would say. And when you go there, what does it typically cost for you to, to take a vacation there? Gosh, well, with the prices of airfare right now, it was probably, I'd say, between twelve dollars and $15,000 for the week that we spent. Okay. What's the most expensive car you've ever purchased? Well, that would be a 2014 Infiniti QX60 that we still own. So we bought it new in 2014, and it was $55,000 at the time. And my husband is still driving it. It used to be my car, and then he gets my hand-me-downs. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we tend to keep our cars for a long time. So we only ever have one car payment at a time, if that. So How many miles is that have on now? It's not that bad. It, it's probably under 80,000 miles. Oh, so. wow. You got so, a lot of yeah, yeah. So my my uh, 15-year-old son is hoping it comes to him soon. So that, that <laughs> might happen. <laughs> what else is on the bucket list that you're really looking forward to that you haven't done yet? Well, we have already started planning a trip to Iceland for next year. So that's been a big bucket list trip we've wanted to take. And so that's what we're planning. Awesome. If you were to be a professor in college, what class would you teach? At this point, I would probably want to teach some kind of business class. And I always regret that I did my degree in psychology, knowing what I know now, because I'm so interested and love business that I wish I had gotten my degree in that. So yeah, probably business. Are there any mistakes that you have made that you would caution others against? Oh, yeah. Um, having credit cards when you're 
in your early 20s and not able to pay them off each month. That was our biggest mistake and something that we paid for for many years. We had a lot of credit card debt for a long time as young people. And I think part of that for us too was just that we went without during our childhoods for so many years that when we became adults, we were like, let's go to the Bahamas or let's go here or there. And so, you know, we got into some debt that way. But now we only use our credit cards and um, pay them off every month. So we don't have balances anymore. Do you use points and stuff for travel as well as part of that credit card usage? We do. Yes, we do. So that's part of what we love. Awesome. What would be your last piece of advice to somebody who's just starting out or getting started on their journey? You know, I would say that um, as soon as you get your first full-time job, you need to start saving money, even if it's just a little bit, you know, just pay yourself first and start small and just start saving because the earlier you start, the more you're going to build up. So yeah, I mean, that's my biggest piece of advice that and don't get credit cards. Good stuff. I got a bonus question that I just was, was thinking about as, as the rate environment has drastically changed over the last, I guess, several months here, is there a pause or, I mean, what is your mindset as an investor knowing that we've kind of got some uncertainty around the rates and, and does that change, you know, what your philosophy or, or, or things that you want to do with your real estate investment? Well, yeah, it does. I mean, first of all, you know, when we sold our, our short-term rentals this past year, we thought we were going to buy more short-term rentals, but it just, you know, with the rising rates and they weren't even that high yet, it, the numbers are hard to make work. So if the deal is not going to work financially, it just doesn't make sense. So, I mean, luckily for us right now, our money, our investment money is fully invested and we got in when the rates were good. And even in our syndications, the ones that were adjustable all had cap rates. So we're still fine there. And yeah, we're just going to wait at this point because I'm hope I don't know if the rates will come down. I'm hoping they do, but at the very least I think that the price points have not come down enough to meet where the rates are now. So that's what I'm kind of seeing, especially in the short term rental market. Awesome. That's Lauren with a net worth of three point one million dollars. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.